On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Audience, here's the deal. This is a part two of a two-part podcast because Brent's guest was fantastic and they could have gone on forever. But I had to cut it. I had to say, oh, that's, that's it. We got we to gotta cut this. We're going to do another podcast. And he was gracious enough to come back. And audience, you got to know, I'm with you. I had to wait for the second part. And that first half was amazing. Just as a reminder, first of all, go back and listen to that. But as a reminder, the guest again today is David Martin. David is the president and founder of Fantasy Interactive. And you can hear a lot more about his bio in that first episode. Go back and listen to it. And then listen to this one. It's going to piggyback off of it, I'm sure. Brent, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, Eric? I as same, same. I'm I'm so excited to get into this. I'm such a geek for this stuff. I wish I knew more, and I guess that's why I'm here. I'm here to learn from you, and I'm here to learn from your guests. So take it away. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this as well because uh, just for, for a timestamp here, it is January 31st of 2022. It's a Monday, and Friday morning, David and I uh, were began talking about this this topic of artificial intelligence, which is a really really broad topic, but it took us into some just amazing discussions about how humanity is going to change, how the workplace is mm-hmm. going to change, how society itself could be completely rearranged by the level of technology that we see coming coming online. And uh, I'm really excited that David agreed to come back and talk to us today. And so I'm ready to dive back into it. Where, where, should, where do we start? Yeah, I guess uh, we finished with UBI last time, right? Correct. Uh, universal basic income where, you know, um, ultimately the planet... And, and humans can exist in a more, let's say, relaxed manner, where everyone is benefiting from that one type of happiness, right? Where there's, they're not striving to get happiness and striving to create Instagram profiles that are not really real. You know, they're happy within this universal basic income, universal basic expectations, universal basic standard of living and acceptance and all of that kind of stuff. Right? Well, so if, you, if you recall, some may be happy. My, my, right, my parting right. comment was that uh, given the opportunity to have all my basic needs met and not have to do anything for it, I think I left the conversation Well, my answer to that would be no. Right. And I, I don't think I'm alone with that. I think if you, the danger of that is, is removing sense of value and purpose and sense of dignity in human beings. And right. that, that's what scares me about the UBI concept. And we talked about this with Scandinavia, right? Where yeah. I lived there for seven years, six years, technically, in Sweden, where, you know, the colder or the, the further you get away from the equator, you know, two things happen. One, you know, the food isn't as spicy, and then the people are not as spicy, right? It's <laughs> probably the best way to put it. Um, and, you know, but they're all, they're almost living in somewhat of a their own UBI where, you know, they take their ticket to get their alcohol. There's only one place you can buy alcohol in the whole country of Sweden, and that is in the government-run, you know, specific stores that are only open certain times of the day, certain days of the week, not on weekends, not late at night, not early in the morning, and you have to take a ticket when you go in there and stand silently while you wait to go and purchase your, your six-pack of beer, right? right? So, look, there's pros and cons to everything in life. But, um, you know, where, where UBI, if UBI is going to become something, crypto, is it going to potentially be its own form of currency in a UBI world? Maybe even crypto doesn't even exist. We never know. But when you get into these AI conversations, typically, there's a couple of different scenarios that you normally talk about, right? So UBI being one of them. You talk about practical applications in existing technology like Alexa, right? The basic 101 start point of, of AI and how kids use it. But then there's also the conversations about military use, right? Which is, is scary for a lot of people. And there's a massive amount of investment going in there. Then you get into the conversation of simulated theory, simulation theory. You know, we can talk about what that is. I think that's probably one of the most interesting things when you really boil everything down. It's really ultimately taking every religion in the world and putting it into one conversation. Quantum physics, it's also another conversation that typically comes up around AI. You know, all of these outputs from this exciting conversation of AI. So, 
you know, what, one of the things, I guess, with the current climate that we're in today with, with Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan and the conversations around hypersonic missiles that have been in the media over the past couple of months and also AI has been a huge component of that conversation where today United States are spending, you know, a ton of money, billions of dollars, almost $900 billion this year on AI technology and AI investment, AI development, what like basically trying to understand and get ahead of the game. Unfortunately for us and the planet, China are doing exactly the same thing. We're currently, the perception is for some that we're currently ahead, but it seems the reality is that China are already surpassing us and are going to in five, 10 years destroy us in their knowledge and their technology and their advancements around AI. So this is where beyond the standard everyday application in your home, your car, your phone, how AI can maybe impact us. Hopefully AI impacts us on the military side for the positive, where you know it, it's able to keep people at peace versus trying to take things over. But the AI war is something that um, is gonna be crazy. So the, the military applications that you're gonna see that are already using AI significantly are things like cybersecurity. Right, so right now, cybersecurity, there's lots of different Silicon Valley cybersecurity companies out there that come set up your firm and your infrastructure with a cybersecurity ecosystem to keep you as protected as possible. Most of those cybersecurity systems are kind of like, almost like man-made, ad hoc. You know, you're getting in there, you put in pre almost preventative measures versus reactive measures. And AI within cybersecurity is really your cybersecurity 2.0, where it's on the fly patching the problem. So it detects an attack or detects a problem that opened up, not maybe because of you, but because of the attack. And on the fly, it's able to patch. So that's where cybersecurity is, is ultimately going. That's its own podcast in terms of the advances, where cybersecurity is going, where it, where it came from, and how AI ultimately will play a massive role in ultimately being the attacker and the defender. So AI is not going to solve cybersecurity because it's going to be used both to attack and to defend. So it's an escalation, a that, non-stop escalation. Is. That's all it is. That's, that's all, as far as I can see right now. The, in, in, from a flying perspective, you and I are both pilots, right? Yep. And we know it's tough to fly, especially in pretty perilous situations that pilots do get themselves in sometimes, not because, always because of their own um, reasons, but because of, you know, failures, weather, but particularly in the military where things are even more intense, far, far more intense, right? You know, today, AI already exists within the military compound of um, flying, right? You have it in drone technology, but now it, it's coming into the aircraft themselves. And it's already been shown and proven that AI today can do a superior job to the best pilots that we have, right? So the way things are going is that pilots ultimately become those kind of wingmen, those kind of backups. They're yeah. not going to become the primary flying, the, 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 as we call the, the PIC, the pilot in control. Targeting infrastructure and systems where AI is going to be extremely um, important both for defense and for attacking when it comes to military, you know, ballistics. I have a pretty crazy that I know of that I'm not going to let you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some information here, but I'm not going to give you all of it. Understood. Right. Um, so I know our present, now the media doesn't really know this story, right? So, you know, this, this is not Joe Rogan's podcast, so hopefully it's not going to you know, get us in trouble, but the, uh, I know President Joe Biden, for example, right? Um, I know personally, and I've seen the video of Joe Biden in a helicopter um, a couple of years ago. And there was, he was over in Iraq on July 4th. And the missile, uh, an RPG launched from the ground. And a buddy of mine was filming. And he was filming the 4th July fireworks in the helicopter. And he... You know, I was looking down, they were flying over. I don't know how high they were flying, just, you know, less than a thousand feet, I'm sure, right? But they saw a flash. But before they saw it, the computer saw it. And so what happens is in the helicopter, the, the, the self-defense flare system gets ready to deploy, right? And drops out all these flares. And the RPG flash, all you see is a flash, and this thing in seconds comes up. Well, it just so happened that the second last flare, the second last one hit, the, the RPG and Biden had no idea. Yeah. So my buddy was sitting right across from Biden, like, you know, opposite him. And, you know, at the time Biden was vice president and this, this, um, this, this vice president was nearly killed. 
by an RPG. No one knows, right? And that story sounds pretty surreal, right? And why isn't that story in the media? What are so many things that, you know, don't hit the media for obvious reasons, right? But I, I've seen the video myself, and, and I trust my buddy. And I, for certain reasons, he's definitely to be trusted, right? Based on the position that he was in. But I see, I, I saw the video, and that was not a, a, uh, a very intelligent defense system. It was basically flares just literally burst out on the back and hope to God that the heat-seeking sensors on the rocket hit the flare before they hit the engine of the, the exhaust of the helicopter. You know, and we came close to losing the vice president of America. That's a big deal. So in, in, as we go forward, AI platforms will ensure that you don't raise flares and hope to God that the RPG hits. So these are, these are little things um, that AI will have a massive advantage in terms of protection, but then also in terms of attack. Right, so the governments obviously will, will, will probably focus primarily on defense uh, and not attack in the beginning. But these are the kind of things where you got to get worried about things like China, right, and China and Russia. They're both developing an enormous amount of AI. They're putting an enormous amount of budget into their platforms across the board, and they're using their own companies and their own technology. They're mandating them to support the the future of AI within the entire government infrastructure. So for example, here in the United States, you have Apple. And Apple, go and build their own stuff. You know, if Joe Biden comes along and says, okay, Apple, we need everyone to kind of hands down for a second and we need all your help on AI and we need all your patents and all your data and all your knowledge, we need to apply it as some government component. You know that that would not happen here, mm -hmm. right? In China, you know, that does happen. Right, so obviously working with Huawei, their biggest techn te technology company, you know, as, as an American company, it was a bit strange, right? Now we were sheltered from and not really allowed near the development component. You know, the, we built, we've, we've designed several complete operating systems that are 100% based on AI, right? We did um, one for um, an American company related to Apple and as a, as a kind of a, incognito test and we did one uh two for for china which was primarily for huawei um we also did one for a platform called roku which is the alexa competitor in china right where you have the device you talk to it also has a screen with a visual kind of response so we designed that 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 system but with the huawei was it was specifically for the their ios platforms within their their mobile devices, phones, iPads, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what was very interesting about working with that Chinese company was on the surface, it's normal. You go there, you go to the headquarters, it's beautiful. There's lakes, there's people walking around in, in nicer campuses than I've seen here in the United States, right? So the perception of what we have here in America, sometimes of China, is, is a little bit skewed. In fact, there are certain things they have and do that are far superior to what we have in the United States. Like, have you been to Hong Kong? I have not been to Hong Kong. Right, there's a lot of Americans that haven't been to New York. And they're like, I wanna to go to New York. A lot of Europeans wanna to go to New York. Go to New York, oh my God, it's New York City, Times Square. My God, New York is the most overrated <laughs> city I've ever been in. It's dirty, it's ugly, it's clogged. It's, the apartments are old, everything's old. You go to Hong Kong and you're, wait a second. The commute from the airport, which is as far as, far as JFK to, you know, even further, from, the airport to, to the city of Hong Kong compared to JFK to New York. But the commute is beautiful. The roads are clean. They're, the traffic is flowing, right? Everything works. The buildings are newer, taller. Everything's better. So China and, and Shanghai and Beijing, similar, right? They're, they, they have better cities than we do. Uh, they have everything now is becoming better. And, but what they're doing is that in the, on the tech side and the AI side, they're leveraging, the government are leveraging the technology that the companies like Huawei have created, right? So when we were building the artificial intelligence operating system for, for Huawei, you know, we get so far in, in what we can do. So we, we come up with the strategy, what we think, how, it should, how users should interact with it, the phones. It's all about making, helping humans make better decisions and quicker decisions so they can spend less time on the phone and they can get what they need from it. it makes sense. Right? There's nothing malicious about it. There's nothing sinister at all about that. But by the time you, as designers, 
we often work with technology companies like Google, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you know Salesforce, and we work with their CEOs, to their engineers, to their designers, to all together understand what we need to create, right? And but when it came to Huawei, we were completely separated. Even though we have, and I had a connection and worked with their CEO. When it came to okay, I need to meet with your 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 chief engineering officers and and your development teams. They had thousands and thousands of developers, right? No, it was off limits, off limits. But it makes no sense. I mean, I'm I'm here trying to create the strategy and the vision for how this artificial intelligence operating system should should help humans and how the operating system should ultimately change. Um, so you don't have those little crappy icons on every screen that you never use, right? right? And all these apps that are wasted. And um, you know how to do that. We need to have engineering on board with what we're doing. That it makes it a reality. So in a, with an American company, you know, uh, of course you're under NDAs, so there's a lot of secrets they have, and you've obviously got to respect them 100%, which of course we do. Um, but you know, you, you do have a you're you're all in this together. In an American company, you're you're working with the engineers, you're working with strategy, the tech, the researchers, the designers. Everyone's there as one team. But with China, that's not the case, right? So it's very interesting. And so there's it was a bit of a shocker to me that you know after the the great work we did for Huawei that um, you know we were we started to be removed, especially when Trump came in. When Trump came in, um, you know the the fear of Huawei putting listening software or components or Trojan horses and avenues into the operating system was a real threat to the American government at the time. Was it was that threat in reality? I don't think so. I I don't know for sure, but I do think there was a couple of things that came up that the CIA and the U.S. government got a little bit worried about. Which you know, honestly, let let's be honest. If you're in China, there's certain things the the American government does that if you're Chinese, you're like, oh, I'm a little worried about that. It's natural, but you know, I never saw anything malicious, sinister, or any conversations around. You know, when we were, we were working with their, the people driving that have been in the company for, for decades, driving the, the next generation operating system for, for, for ultimately billions of people, right? Based on Android, right? And the, you know, that, that's a major undertaking to do that, right? I mean, if you, if you think of all the stuff we designed, it's probably used by at least half the, half the planet. Sure. Right? Um, particularly the operating system side. And, you know, those are major responsibilities and undertakings, but we don't do it solo. We're we're just one one part of the of the massive team, you know. Although we we drive the vision, we drive the strategy, we drive the design, we we come up with how the user experience should be. Um, that's all exciting stuff, but typically in those conversations with clients, you typically will find out very earlier on if there's some thing that we're not supposed to touch or not supposed to know about, or you know, there's always signals. Mm -hmm. But in the case of Huawei, there were zero, zero signals, and um, but it, they but they very intentionally kept you away. And from then the, the the red flag was when they kept us away from the engineering, yeah. you know. And that was a red flag, but that was before um, it became public in the media when Trump came in that that there was a problem. Yeah. Right. So this before Trump, you know, even was running for office, um, you know, uh, we were already kept back mm -hmm. from the engineering side. So. I can, you know, but in their defense, they also knew that we worked for their competitors. We worked for Samsung, LG, Apple. Where we had something going on, on the side there, right? Uh, with Steve Jobs' wife, and in terms of a, a competing artificial operating system. Um, so, with that said, you know, we don't know. Do I really think there was something obvious there that China? Already, no, I mean, the reality is, a lot of these things are are. are or engineer, you can reverse engineer yeah. a lot of the software, right? And see if there's a, like a Trojan horse. Like it's the same thing here in, the, in America. Some people think there's microchips in the vaccine. Well, there's also skeptical doctors and, and virologists out there and folks that are experts with vaccines that are anti the vaccine that can easily call out the BS on that and go, well, there is no microchips because I'm, I'm looking at it under the microscope, but there's sure. nothing here. So I don't think so. Well, I would think, I mean, espionage is as old as human civilization. So if, if I am, as an American citizen, if I 
and I don't know what they're doing in Washington because I think they're very unserious about a lot of these issues right now. But if, as an American citizen, I would actually hope that our that our federal government is investigating ways to use AI to get a better understanding for what might be happening in other parts of the world. Had we yeah. done that, maybe there would have been more of a heads up. And there was actually more of a heads up about what was going on in Wuhan, for example, right, right. before the entire society changed. Right. But uh, so I, I think we should operate under the expectation that any military or any country with any power and pull in the world is doing this. They are. They're, they're all doing it. Um, now, we don't know to what depth, but we have an idea based on what $900 billion is going to buy us. Yeah. How many people we need to um, employ, invest. You know, America now finally gets it. We've, we've got to invest. But they're still going to be, unfortunately, light years behind China. There's, there's too many people. There's the, the work ethic, the budgets, the, the drive, the competitiveness. There's much more of it there. And also the singularity of purpose. We're lacking that in this country right now. Yes, we are. I mean, that's, and that's part of, that's part of humanity where, you know, in America where it's a very free country for, for many good reasons, right? But it comes with negatives. Where China is very much like, this is how you need to jump. How, you need to jump this high and everyone goes, all right, let's, let's do it. They'll, they'll jump on command. But that's not the case here in the States, right? Um, but what's very interesting about you know, espionage, it's more not specific to governments with AI, it's more specific to tech. So let's talk about Tesla, for example, or Rivian. So as you know, we, I, I know Elon, know RJ pretty well from that owns Rivian. And, you know, we work with Ford, Lincoln, Aston Martin, all these car companies that we, we, we work with those clients to design their operating systems for the vehicles, right? And their, their concern is twofold. One, it's, you know, making sure their own customers are completely safe within the autonomous platform of what is autopilot, really, you know, autonomous driving. And the other one is, is keeping that technology from China or Russia, like stealing it and then making their own applications, right? So, uh, you know, if you look at what Apple, you know, they've been working on this car for God knows how long, right? Have you seen the car? I've, you've seen mock-ups and yeah, ideas, no, no, but no nothing has. real. No one has. And one of the reasons you haven't seen it is because companies like Rivian and Tesla have poached the employees from Apple. And, you know, I think Elon mentioned, you know, there's several hundred employees at Tesla that um, came from the car side at Apple. So he knows. He's been pretty public about that. Too. Right, he has. And he knows what they've been working on. I mean, don't know, there's certain things... You know, those employees would definitely get sued, as would Elon, if, you know, they were ultimately taking, you know, patented or secret components from that, uh, that, that Apple work and then purposely bringing it into another company like Tesla, right? So there's, it's more he has the knowledge, but at the end of the day, um, they're not, it's not something they're capitalizing on, right? I mean, Tesla are so far ahead. I mean, actually, what sucks is, you know, I saw in the news there this week, you know, I sent, I sent a message to Elon about this, that, that, that Biden had GM and Ford, uh, Ford being one of our clients, right? We do all the electric stuff there, all the new F-150s, all the new electric vehicles, right? I, I got to be careful when I say in this so I don't <laughs> release too much information. But the, the, that was it. There was no Tesla. He, was, he wasn't represented. Tesla is, is really the, the, the true original legend of, of without Tesla doing what they've done, there's no way. I mean, we also do Mercedes, right? Ford, I know, I know the boards of these companies, right? I've spoken at length with them. You know, we're all close. We work, we have a good working relationship for years. It's pretty unanimous with all these people that Tesla were, without Tesla doing what they're, they're doing, there's no way these companies would be pushing out these vehicles at this point. There's yeah. just no way. And so, unfortunately, Biden didn't, didn't recognize that. Because, not, not to get political, but just pissed me off because a Tesla's not unionized, right? Elon's also been very outspoken about a number of issues in the last couple of years. Right, right of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's his thing. But anyway, so the application of, of autonomous platforms in in vehicles is is definitely going to be the, the real first point of entry for a lot of people to experience true AI. And, you know, let's talk about autonomous vehicles for a second and how AI impacts that. So in transparency, you know, um, we also work for Bell Aircraft and we produced the first, together with them, the first drone called the Nexus. If you look up the Nexus on YouTube, it's this beautiful quad um, copter, basically a drone, secondly, six rotors. And it takes six passengers. So together with, with Bell, Microsoft, and my company, we created um, an ecosystem for how drones ultimately will become the 
and we wanted to be the core uh, method of transport between home and city and city and city. And the reason for that is, you know, roads take a, a ton of money to maintain. Mm -hmm. There's enormous amount of accidents on uh, deaths every year, uh, enormous. And there's just a ton of complications. They're ugly, they're noisy. There's almost nothing positive about roads. They're just to get from A to B. They're, they're, it's a band-aid system to get from A to B. You know, the, the future for me is, is drones. And, you know, so if you look up the Nexus, it's a drone that you can actually sit in. There's, there's, there's seats there for six people and we have two pilots in the front. The pilots are not necessary. They're just there for, you know, peace of mind, right? As a backup, especially in the beginning. And so what we have is, uh, if you look at towns like LA, right? LA has a, a requirement that over a certain height of a building, there has to be a helicopter landing pad, just like in New York City and so on. Um, so it's looking at utilizing that infrastructure. We can make agreements with buildings and, and rent them and, and have what we call very ports, vertical ports, where we can land these drones. So we created the ecosystem where you book the flight, how you board it, from the safety systems to the actual onboard experience and then the, the, the actual autonomous platform for the pilot, right? And how they interact with that. And then you have Microsoft have worked on the server side in terms of how the network um, of drones will fly through the sky with their um, AI platform, right? So this is where transport companies are, are focused more in the future, which I personally am super excited about. And this is something that Elon and I don't see eye to eye on. It's one of the areas that we clash. I believe in the future of, of drones. He believes in the future of vehicles for now. I mean, for obvious reasons, right? I mean, if he, if he jumped in the drone before the vehicles even really got off the start line, which were just off the start line, it's a bit too premature. So with that said, autonomous vehicles are something that, you know, how we look at those, it, it's, 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 uh, it's ease of use. So if you've ever gone in Tesla, one of the, the things that you'll miss if you drive it for two months and then you get out of it and drive, go back to a regular car, an ICE vehicle, which is an internal combustion engine, ICE, that simple things like the door closes automatically when you put your foot in the brake. So it's, it's level of effort. And this is the thing that in human society is changing a lot where we, we, we design things based on level of effort. Level of effort means how much mental effort do I have to put into something to get what I want. And as companies and designers, we are somewhat unfortunately making it easier and easier for you to, to, for technology to do everything for you. And the problem is that the human brain is now expecting everything to be so simple to, on a touch, on a command, on a whiz. It has to be there. We kind of, we're, we're becoming extremely lazy, you know, <laughs> extremely lazy. And, you know, companies like my own, like Elon's are super happy to, to, give you that solution. But, you know, it's getting to the point where humans are, are, are getting a little bit too dependent sometimes on certain technologies, right? So then when it comes to the autonomous vehicles, the idea is that they're only really gonna work when there is properly. The, the, the idea is that, let's say you have the HOV lane. That HOV lane was ultimately purely for the autonomous vehicles. Then the traffic flow in that lane will be amazing. So let's say a lot of people don't understand when the reason there's a lot of traffic is because you've got to stop. And so when a car stops, there's time for that car to slow down, and then there's time for that car to wait, and then there's time for that car to speed up. That is an enormous waste of time. So what if the autonomous vehicles would almost never have to stop? So let's pretend we're at a traffic light here on the, on the highway here, or not on the highway, but on this big road outside. And there was 40 cars waiting to go. When the first car goes, when the light goes green, before the last car moves, there's an enormous amount of waste. Correct. But with autonomous vehicles, if they were all autonomous, working in that ecosystem. And talking to each other. Exactly. That's exactly what it was, how it is. The first one goes at the exact same time the last one goes. So there's a massive amount of time wasting avoided. Right. So I mean, I'm very excited about that possibility which it definitely will be it will definitely happen no question that will be a practical way ai and autonomous platforms work for your benefit in the very near future yeah i i, I absolutely agree that's that's one thing i like to drive I, lo I love a big road trip at the same point if i could hop in my car in the morning and just have it show up and i'm not even commuting that far right. but show up at the office i think it'd be great you talk about one thing though and i don't want to derail if we can stay on, on track with what you want to keep talking about but i want to talk about the metaverse a little bit and what made me think of that was you're talking about companies like yourself. 
yeah. are trying to make things very easy and at, at, at fingertips. The concept of the metaverse to me is terrifying because I look at how lost people are already in their phones, in their mm-hmm. tablets, right. because everything they want is right there. They're curious about Kim Kardashian. It's right there. They want to know about, you know, pick a topic. It is all right there. We step into the metaverse, which would obviously be hugely run and augmented by these AI platforms. Where does that leave humanity? Yeah, so the metaverse is something that has become a word that I've heard really only in the past six months. People are starting to talk about the metaverse, right? And do you want to explain what the metaverse is to people? Yeah, essentially we're, as opposed to, from the extern- from the outside anyway, we're looking in on our computer devices, whether it's a computer screen, our tablets, whatever it might be. Metaverse is essentially a VR, virtual reality platform where you put on the headset, maybe you put on a haptic, to- haptic suit. Um, anybody that's read the book or watched the movie Ready Player One gets an idea of at least how I view the metaverse, where you're stepping into it and it becomes essentially what does your brain think is real your brain thinks what's real is what your electronic impulses are telling it is real whether it's your vision whether it's your hearing whether it's your sense of feeling everything else and right now the vr headsets to me are totally rudimentary what if you could encapsulate an entire non-reality or other existence this is where it's this is going to get very interesting you ready for this and this 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 to me has the potential to destroy humanity so yes yes and no um, so not, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the answer will be yes, but in the beginning it's no. <laughs> okay, so uh, I know a little bit about this. So the VR headsets that are out there today, the one, there's one that's the, by far the best, right? It's called Oculus Quest 2. Are you yes, familiar? that's the Facebook one? Yes. Or the Meta, meta yes. Yeah, whatever they're calling so it. Do, so I'm familiar with it because we work on it. Okay. Right? So uh, we've been working with Facebook for a couple of years. Right. Um, what year is it now? 2022. I think 2016 is when we started. Um, so the, the, the deal with, with, for those of you that have not ever worn a VR headset, I don't blame you because they look corny. They don't really work that well. Um, it's not really true VR disorienting. The graphics are crap. Um, you know, it's nowhere near until the Oculus Quest 2 came out. Right. So the Oculus Quest 2 is something that. I would highly recommend all of you at least buy or try. And the reason for that is, is that, do you remember the first time that you picked so up? So when you say that, it makes me think like you're suggesting I buy or oh, try some have crack you ever, or have something you, have, like you, have you ever tried it? I, 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 it's one of those things I don't want to dive into. How PG can we be here? Do we have to be very PG no, you can, here? you can be as whatever you want okay, to be. Okay, so let's hold on to your pants right now. So here's, here's, where, here's where we're going. So the, remember the first time that you saw an iPhone in your life, you held it in your hand. Yeah. And then you kind of swiped and you saw the screen was colored and it swiped and it opened, it was animated. You're like, holy, holy shit, shit that they do is this? so sexy and amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I feel that, that that in my lifetime, there's a couple of things that I was wowed by. You know, one of the first ones was, was Pamela Anderson and Baywatch and, and Knight Rider, right? Of course. Those were my things. Same demographic. But yeah. then I got to Nintendo and then the next thing that wowed me was the iPhone right when I first used it. And then since the iPhone, there's really been nothing. There's been nothing until I put on the Quest headset. So when you put on this Quest headset, a VR headset, it looks very nice. It looks like Apple design. It's very nice. You put it on, it's very comfortable. But what it is, is just very high resolution, tiny little screens that are right on your eyes. And it doesn't feel like, you know, it's claustrophobic. It doesn't feel like there's something right in front of you. It doesn't feel like you can't focus. It's all designed in a way where it just looks real. Right, so you put on this headset, and, and not only do you have the eyepiece in the front, there is a bone bone audio technology that kind of touches off the the bones on your head, hmm. and and just sends in the audio. So you get complete immersive, a hundred percent three sixty surround sound capabilities with this. So the the feeling is very good. So you put it on for the first time, and you start it up, and you're just like, holy shit! So the quest to the it's, it's called the, the the quest 2 headset the vr headset from facebook uh technically meta it comes with two hand controllers and those hand controllers are very important right those hand controllers are two beautiful little white hand controllers and you just hold them one in the left hand one in the right hand and they have little buttons on them right now when you have a headset on you can't see those buttons obviously right but what it, the, the headset simulates 
So it has little cameras on the headset so it can infrared see your hands, see your fingers moving and everything. So it simulates the exact controller in your hand and your hand, your, you can see your own fingers. It's a simulation of your fingers in real time. So as you're pressing it, you, you can see the button go down, you can see your thumb pressing on it. And then as you press it, it's there's haptic feedback in the controllers. So you can feel what you press, you can feel if there's wind, if there's an explosion within certain games and scenarios, right? So you put this thing on, you can just look around and I tell you what, it's it's there's a couple of there's a couple of examples beyond that initial wow factor where it's really really amazing. There's a lot of content out there which is 360 video content that's very helpful. So let's say you've never been to London ever. You can be in London and get the real impression of what London is like, except for the smell by putting this on. So I can put it on, I can just watch a 360 video on this headset of someone walking around London. And all it is 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 someone with a camera, just a 360 camera, and I as, a, as, as the video is playing, it's a linear video, it has like say a timestamp from zero to 10 minutes, right? I can just, as it's playing, if it wasn't VR, I would just be looking at a video like on TV, it's boring, right? But when you have it on the headset, it's completely a 360 video, so I can look around, I can look up, down, any direction You're I want. Yeah. yeah, so I literally feel like, oh, we're going by Harrods, and I'm, I'm looking back as the camera's going by, and looking at the logo, I notice what's in the windows, I notice the people, the cars, things that you, you notice things that you would never notice when you're just looking at a flat TV. It's just, you're, when you're looking at a flat TV, you're more focused on the characters and what's in focus. That's just subliminally how we do it. But when you're in a 360 viewer experience, it's like looking, you and me now, we're in this room, it feels real. Now, the, the Quest 2 headset is not at the point where it, the definition, the height, the, the graphics, are very high definition within games. But the videos themselves would be 4K to 8K. But until we get to like the 20K resolution, the feeling that I'm not watching a pre-recorded video is definitely there, right, at the moment. But it's not it's not there yet. So that, that it feels 100% real. But it's on the way. And that headset, if you put that on, I guarantee anyone that's listening to this, I guarantee you it will blow your mind because the quality, the experience, the level, everyone I put it on, my friends that are in tech, you know, everyone I put it on are just like, holy shit. Now, the, the a crazy experience that I, I try, obviously, because we, we work in this, I tried porn. I looked at I looked at porn with it, right? And because we knew we knew that porn is going to be a really big component of this thing. Sure. Right? And I'm what I'm getting to here is I, I want to talk about why I think this this metaverse is not a big of a risk just yet especially with vr so when you know when it, just in, the, in total transparency being from ireland don't have any strip clubs you know or anything like that you come to america and all of a sudden i'm going on a client trip in detroit and when the client says hey do you want to go to a strip club and i was like um never been. i didn't say i never been but i was uncomfortable and it seemed like a normal thing so i went right and i was as an innocent irish guy i was absolutely oh my God, first of all, the women are beautiful. Second of all, you get this experience where, I mean, this is crazy. I'm a guy, let's be honest, it's not gonna be not amazing to look at, right? So it's amazing. And then you get into the, the world of porn, which we didn't have when we were kids, just didn't exist. The only, the only type of, of anything that remotely was exposed to me like that is when you go into the, the Blockbuster store when you're 12 years old and you see the top shelf, there's some videos of some girls that have, you know, bikinis and the big brass and all that kind of stuff, right? And that was that was the only thing you'd ever see, right? We didn't have Playboy magazines there really or anything like that. But so today, obviously, porn is a very accessible, free thing for, for anyone that has access to the internet, right? And that that is interesting. When you watch it, okay, I get it, right? Great. But it kind of, it's not that exciting after a while, right? For the first time, sure. But when you put on a VR headset, and the porn was filmed with the which it is today in 360 VR, and you put it on. It is the equivalent of being in the strip club watching that experience, except the experience is right in front of you. And it's obviously much more graphic than what you get at a strip club. You get this insane. So from my perspective, when I when I saw that for the first time. I said, I have to try this. I just want to see what all this, this, this talk is about. And I actually, I, I put the headset on my wife and I asked her to try it. And I put on a video that was maybe more interesting for her. And she was like, oh, 
Holy effing, what the hell is this? Because she couldn't believe that it was right in front of her. So it, it, it's obviously the experience is, is taken to a next level, but I don't think the VR headsets are an experience for anything but those that are going to be in, focused on gaming, focused on, let's say, people that are really into porn, people that are, it's not going to become part of life because you can't put on a VR headset and walk around all day with a VR headset on. It, we, the technology, does, it's like 3D movies. But then the concern with that is that people don't leave their house. Yeah, was, we already have that problem. We, we have that problem now. It was but, already there. I mean, if you look at how, and, and this is what, looking at you know, the bigger picture, in the past couple of years, obviously with COVID, it's been tragic, but the real tragedy is people have given up two years of their lives. Right. They've been sitting at home. And I'm just really passionate about the fact that, that in, my, in my view anyway, and this might be somewhat controversial, but the cures that we've been sold are worse than the disease. Mm-hmm. Not minimizing COVID or anything, but the amount of psychological damage that we've done to people, the amount of the amount that we've separated people. Like, we, human beings are social animals, right? And the more and more this this technology we have, I look at my iPhone, and it's it is it is the a blessing and an absolute curse. It is because I it, it's given me the opportunity to conduct business from anywhere. It's given me a, a whole new level of freedom and flexibility in terms of your day to day life. It is also isolated you in certain capacities because too many people spend too much time on these damn things. Mm-hmm. And it has also made you always available, which right. isn't which isn't a good thing either. And so when it you know, as as we go to the next level of that type of stuff, particularly isolating people, because you could have people you might say it won't be a big part of society. What is it, fifty percent of internet hits are porn now? Uh, the amount of hours that are lost on gaming, it's something extraordinary. I mean, there's a reason I keep my kid off tablets. I don't right. I, I don't give him any of this shit because I don't I don't want him I don't want him in that world yet. Right. You can still control that. Right. I don't want to lose us as people, man. That's the problem. That, so that's that's my. You know, if you were to ask me what is my biggest concern about the future, it's the the answer is that we are going to lose whether we like it or not humanity. Yeah. And we have to reshape humanity in the future, to as we know it, right? And we'll, we'll get to that in a bit in a minute. But the the issue is, come back to VR and the meta, the meta first right right now it's not a problem i don't believe so because the the type of people that are right now stuck playing games all day stuck watching porn all day whatever right it's the usual suspects and the vr headset just makes it better for them does that vr headset make it a you know are we going to get trapped inside and not come out because of that vr headset absolutely not Yes, it's amazing. I can put it on on a Friday night and watch. I want to go to, you know, the the pyramids and I want to check them out, right? But it's not at the level or close to it that it's going to become addictive or something that's going to take. It's not going to compete with reality and humanity. It's just not there yet. Now, in the future, would other AI components, technology, et cetera, et cetera, sure, it's going to get closer. But where where we need to stop and talk about the metaverse, what we need to correct. The metaverse is not going to be VR. A lot of people, including Mark, which it's a debate with him, is is the headset for him is like the future. It's not. The headset is not. And I'll tell you why. Because the, I mean, the headset is, is something physically that you have to put on. It's, that's, that's its Achilles heel. That's why it can never, it's like, when, remember when, when. She's talking about implants. Right, but well, we're going to get, that's where I'm going. That's yeah. where I'm going. But remember when the 3D, the 3D um, glasses came out, 3D movies came out, and the first time I saw a 3D movie, I'm like, oh my god, this is incredible. Yeah. Why would not every movie be like this? Why is not every TV like this? And we have the tech; it's all done. It's cheap. It's doable. But it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because the level of effort. Remember, I keep talking about level of effort. Yeah, yeah. Put the less. Put the glasses on is it's Achilles heel. Right, so the VR headset would in the metaverse Achilles heel. So what's the solution? That's not the VR headset. It's a Neuralink. Right. Right. So let's talk about Neuralink. So Neuralink is for those that that may or may not know, is ultimately uh, an implant in the brain. And Elon is working on a company um, which is actually called Neuralink. Uh, we, we, the term for brain implants and cognitive control is is a different term, but what everyone knows is Neuralink because that's the company. It's like the Tesla, if you will, right, of, of electric cars. And what it is, is it's, uh, the reason it's called Neuralink is because um, humans have 85, uh, 85 million or billion, I can't remember, 85, 
85 billion or billion doesn't matter. Neurons, a right? loss, <laughs> a loss. And what this 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 um, this chip does, it's the size of a. Have you ever seen an English pound coin? Yes. Right. So imagine stacking about four of them together. That's the size of the. So it's about the size. That's the size of the, of the chip, and it's surgically implanted, right? And you know what's what's amazing, like absolutely stellar about this company is is twofold. One, which we'll talk about in a second, it's the being able to control in uh, pathways and enhance or or deflate certain signals in the brain. Right? We'll talk about that in a second because that's where it's a game changer. But what's incredible is the technology to do this. So it, it's not just about the technology of, of implanting the chip, wiring it to your neurons. It's they have to create new methods and technologies to be able to to make sure that the thing doesn't leak with inside the brain, how it charges inside the brain. So there's, if you go onto the Neuralink website and read all these components and, and how it's done, it's insane. So what it does though is with Neuralink is that it's able to go in, it has to be, doctors can't insert it because it, the, the, the neurosurgeons don't have the dexterity and the detail and the precision to insert it. So they're building actual robotics right now, which will be overseen by neurosurgeons to implant the chip. And it's been tested on you know humans at the moment, right? And what it does is it's a little, uh, looks like a little uh, tiny little wire cloth that, that connects to uh, synapses in the neurons, right? And ultimately, what this does is that let's pretend you have Parkinson's disease. All we do is intercept the signals and we turn Parkinson's off. Let's say as in the shaking, the, the effects, right? Um, let's pretend you, you're feeling hungry, right? And you're overweight. We can turn off the hunger, right? So ultimately it's the, it's the sensations, the signals. Of, so let's, let's t this is where I wanna talk about, you know, kind of wrap up the conversation about AI here because Neuralink is ultimately, and other companies that would be like it, is ultimately making us connected more powerful. So we're not gonna need to shoot up on heroin, we're not gonna need to do a lot of things because we can turn that on on the brain, right? So imagine on my phone, I can pay $5.99 to get high, or I can pay you know, $10.99 to feel super happy, or whatever, whatever it might be. I'm just making stuff up right now. This is where we're going. So this is the problem that initially that technology is gonna be used to cure a lot of diseases, right? So people that can't walk, we're gonna be able to make you walk. And, you know, it sounds like a miracle, but in reality, it's just because we've never got into the brain, which is the number one place we need to get into to do anything medically in the first place. So when we finally get control of that, which is on the way, that's where beyond medical applications, it's going to become recreational. And when it becomes recreational, and that's where we're going to be starting, where humanity is really going to enter the metaverse and really going to change. Because how I perceive things is going to be based on how powerful uh, you know, a perception do I want to have. So for example, you know when I, you know, I, I've never done a drug in my life in full transparency until I tried a gummy, like a, one of these edibles, right? Yep. I tried about a year ago and to get asleep. And I never felt any effect of it because I just fell asleep. But one evening on a fr Friday uh, evening, I took it early and I was watching TV and I start to, my God, like the sensation of it, I was so focused. And then I was drinking a glass of wine, the wine tasted so much better. Everything was better. Everything felt good, everything was better, right? So that was the first time I felt that I was, you know, my perception of, of what I was feeling was enhanced. So imagine you go on your phone, you turn up, I'm gonna eat a great dinner steak now, I want the steak to taste like this, right? Yeah. That's where we're going, right? Now, the, the problem is, if we talk about perception, right, you know, we need to understand what, what kind of trouble we're in because the time, time is fake. You, you've never seen your wife in real life. You know that, right? You've, you're looking at me right now, you've never seen me in real life. You're not seeing me, I'm already technically past the time you're seeing me in. Sure. So although the light is reflecting off me, you're not seeing me in real time, you never will. Yeah. Time is fake, time is a made up concept, right? So the earth goes round, spins round, 24 hours takes the earth to go round. Why do we have that? Well, because we have day and night. We didn't have the sun, we wouldn't have this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday thing. We wouldn't have the calendar. We wouldn't need really the concept of time because time would just be always the same. But because it's day, night, day, night, day, night, you know, we're kind of forced to make some kind of time to make a perception of reality, right? So time is a man-made thing, 
right? Time doesn't exist. If you go to some planet that's well ahead of us, you know, billions of years, light years away, I guarantee you they don't have watches, right? This, this is not, not the way it works. Time is something for us to, to quantify the past, present, and future to kind of figure out a reality. We're, we're projecting a reality onto some kind of cloth, right? So the perception of what humans have as, as reality, quantum physics, your perception of light, your perception of time, it's all altered. So artificial intelligence combined with, let's say, a metaverse and Neuralink components is where our, our life and how we're going to live it is going to be enormously different from what it is today. And yeah. so all of this conversation comes really down to, sure, there's applications in the next couple of months and years that are going to be applicable to, 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 and beneficial, autonomous vehicles, for example. But the big concern is how humanity is ultimately going to get this, not be not destroyed, but it's not going to be what you and I know it today. And, and, and thinking about all this, David, for me, I'm not a guy that, I love technology. Right. I leverage the daylights out of it. It's made my life on balance far better than it's detracted from it. And I look at a lot of these applications that we might have with artificial intelligence moving forwards. And the optimist in me thinks that we are, we are at the cusp of a possibility of a world where everything can get enormously better. Okay. I'm also, for people that know me without getting political, I tend toward the personal liberty side of things. And for me, the, the question is always, who has control over your life? And if this AI is utilized in order to gain more control over other people's lives, that's something that scares me. So to the, to the extent, how much of this technology you think in the future can be democratized, where it makes your life better because it's doing things that you want it to do, as opposed to other people using these amazingly powerful tools as a prison to put you in. Because when you talk about hitting a button to, to not have uh, feel like you want to eat, uh, in my mind I go, well, who could possibly hit a button to maybe calm somebody down a little bit if they're angry at a school board meeting? Right. <laughs> so there's, there's two sides to this thing. And I guess the, the, it's, it's big centralized authoritarian groups that tend to be, whether it's on the corporate side or the government side, that are doing the development on all this and that are expending the resources. And what's to say they don't con control that genie completely and use that to really dominate humanity? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Oh yeah, it's a question that pretty much every expert out there when it comes to AI in general is, is trying to figure out how do we ensure that this, every piece of technology is, is no matter how helpful it is, is democratized. So we don't ultimately cannibalize ourselves or cannibalize humanity, right? And you know, the freedoms, the liberties, all that kind of stuff are somewhat on an even keel. I don't think that the way, the way, if you kind of look how things progress over the past you know, 20 years even, I don't think that folks in America, for example, you know, and all over the world that are, you know, want liberties or want freedom, they want certain privacy. I feel that slowly, it's going to be getting less and less. Now, is it going to get to a point where it's going to completely get removed from you? At that point, that we're not living, we're not human anymore. We're kind of, you know, almost a slave to the, to, to, to the future, you know? But this is what humans, you know, like if we, if we were, let's say, tomorrow to make a massive discovery in some kind of quantum technology to enable us to quickly get into this super meta versus AI world, right? It would benefit, cure every disease, cure every traffic problem, all that kind of stuff. Let's pretend we would be in horrific risk of losing humanity very quickly. So the key is to get into it slowly, to figure out, okay, we failed at this, this didn't work out, and you know, this was an utter disaster, this caused another pandemic, this caused a war, this caused this. And it's ultimately humans have to be very wise and cognitive in terms of when they create the technology and, and, and how it's immersed and how it progresses, it's set around an infrastructure and ecosystem where it rules that are always respectful of humanity. So for example, you know, religions, right? Um, religion, you know, you've got all these religions all around the world, right? I'm, I'm not, I believe in the size of the universe. I, I have a good idea how big the universe is, which is to me insanely mind blowing. And, it, and, it's, and it's fact. 
when it comes to religion, you know, I grew up Catholic, you know, in Ireland. Irish, you had no choice. Forced. I was in a Catholic (laughs) school, forced to do all that stuff, you know. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, my brain always went to the science, you know, because it was right there in front of me. I couldn't. I couldn't swallow the religion because there was too many conflicting religions. I'm like, well, if that religion says this is the God and that one says that's the God and it does this and they, I'm like, wait a second, you all need to be on the same page. We're all on one planet. You can't have different religions. We need one. So, but the idea of religion is amazing because everyone obviously needs a faith. Everyone needs something created us, no, man, no matter what it is. Something created something. Energy is something that didn't come from nothing. It has to come, everything has to come from somewhere. But um, no one knows what that is. But the the... The thing about religion is is that it gave people hope and it gave people rules. So imagine um, a thousand years ago, you know, we're, I mean, humans, what are, we're 7,000 years old at max. That's six, 7,000 years old is when we know the first writing came. I mean, if you just go by science, it's right? Lucy in the Rift Valley, wherever they found her. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever, if you just purely, if you don't go by religion, just purely go by science, like data, geological stuff, you know, carbon dating, writings, we're six, 7,000 years old at max, right? Just based on that. Now, the the if back then, since humans were alive, imagine, imagine we didn't have cameras back then, which we didn't. Imagine we didn't have police, which we didn't. Imagine we didn't have, let's say, self-respecting neighbors, which we didn't. If someone you get in an argument with someone as you're walking through the forest, or you want to take their food, you know, you you kill them. The moral compass of doing it is is not there. The security and surveillance is not there. So humans really were were. A horrible race rape didn't respect women didn't res- you know it, it was human beings are one of the worst things out there if, if if they're left to their own devices on survival and without control but once you give humans a, an infrastructure to behave they're amazing right they're not killing each other and religion did a phenomenal job when religion came in there was a moral compass mm-hmm. correct you know I agree and everyone kind of respect thy neighbor, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Don't cheat. You know, all that stuff was set up so humans could absolutely start to behave. And they did. So, you know, the, the key is whatever we set up in the future where technology ultimately, you know, the metaverse or AI or simulation theory becomes, you know, the religion, which is happening for a lot of people today. Well, what are the rules around that? So we don't we don't end up letting the tech cannibalize us, right? And so it, it that to me is is what's going to be most interesting, you know, how it's how it's democratized, how it's set up. But I'm I feel that there's a lot of worry that you know cybersecurity is already a problem today, and all this technology we're talking about revolves around digital. It's all digital. Digital is a made-up thing by man, by by humans, right? Well, it's technically electric electrons, then controlled by digital uh, input. And I am worried that there's always going to be those rogue players out there, just as there is in everything mm-hmm. since hum- humans existed. And I worry that the government infrastructures and how things are democratized are going to be sloppy. I mean, if you just look at how we've handled COVID, right? Every government in the world you know, has pretty much done a crappy job, right? Um, some much worse than others, right? And, you know, COVID is just a, a virus, right, that um, no one can control, no one can hack, no one can do any, you can just catch it, you get sick. Some people unfortunately die, some people don't, right? Sure, we put out vaccines to help with that, but the reality is it's not that bad, I mean, because no one can manipulate it from here. No one can use it as a weapon. So my concern is, if we can't even handle a, a pandemic. In my book, you're, you're going to, in my view, you're going to look back in the future and realize that this pandemic was was nothing, and it should have been handled far better. Now, of course, we're human. This is the first time we're dealing with this, so we'll always get better and better and better, right? But I'm, I'm not impressed how humans and the governments of the of this day and age kind of hadn't prepared well enough and haven't dealt with this. And even now, I mean, where's China's responsibility? Where's anyone's responsibility in trying to fix this and making sure we're not going down? Where's America even talking about, hey, you know, the best thing we got out of COVID is we all realize we need to get healthier. Yeah. Right? Well, where, they, where's that conversation? Yeah, that's, the conversation doesn't happen. Right, it doesn't. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So when it comes to AI and, and the meta, how are we going to be equipped to set up proper democratic rules uh, uh, when we can't even handle a pandemic? The pandemic is it's a drop in the ocean compared to what 
if we could access that virus and, and use it as a weapon, control it, manipulate it in a micro level, right? That's exactly what the future of AI is and, and, and digital connection, Neuralink. And, you know, for me, I, I think the governments are always behind. And I think what, one thing that's got to change is that the governments have to stand up and go, okay, we're politicians, we're governments. There's only so fast we can go. And they need to start to utilize third parties. You know, let's, for lack of a better idea, let's say Elon, right? Considered one of the brightest guys out there. You know, someone like him, for example, should be working. There should be a, uh, you, know, you have NATO, you have the UN, all these things to help kind of peacekeeping. But you don't really have a version of that for the five Elons in China and the five Elons in Germany and the five Elons in America. You know, they're not coming together to be forming a cohesive government-supported humanity-backed endeavor to make sure that things are going to be set up correctly, right? And we're, we're not, we're, we've got bits of it in different organizations, but it's not really there yet. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's going to be, it has to come. It's not there. It scares me at the moment because I don't think this stuff is, you know, 50 years away. I think it can happen so much quicker. Um, so, you know, the, the CERN um, reactor, um, the, what'd you call them? Like, the collider. The collider, the Hadron collider. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking here. You know, what uh, the CRE, what, what, what comes out of that? You know, what changes gravity? You know, if we understand what, where gravity really comes from, how it works, you know, the equation of time changes, right? Everything changes. Like the perception of what the universe is that we have is one based on time and distance and based on this. Do you understand that the, what we know is physics is not is scratching the surface of what we believe the real physics are? No, it's not going to the two. The two forms we follow aren't compatible. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we as humans are kind of, we're using our little brains to understand reality, but we're, we're not given all the pieces of the puzzle. So what we've come out with is, oh, we understand what time is, we understand what colors are, we understand feelings, emotions, all this kind of stuff. But it's, it's, it's scratching the surface of what's out there. And so as AI comes and the understanding of what the CERN um, collider does and, and real physics, that's when there's going to be an absolute explosion in terms of humanity, humanity the purpose, technology, what we can do. And we think it's bad right now. You go to a bar or a restaurant and you see all these people on phones, nothing compared to what's coming. So, so holding on to humanity, I think is going to be the new, you know, the new pro-human movement where the, the whole planet can come together and go, look, we don't want to lose, we don't want to lose our kids to our tablets, but right. we don't want to lose humanity technology. And I completely agree with that. And I think that from my perspective, I, we both have young kids that uh, are going to have a heck of a lot longer run around than, than we have so far. And I just, I hope and I pray that the world that they're going to inherit is a good one and that we make some good decisions around this right now. But David, thank you so much, man. This has yep. been, I can't thank you enough. This has been absolutely incredible. <laughs> fun, right? Fun conversations. And those that want more, you know, go out there and listen to folks like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's a great astrophysicist, very entertaining, talks a lot about AI you know, the future of, of, you know, the metaverse, the future of, of, um, you know, simulation theory it was something we didn't really touch on, but you know, I think it's, there's a lot of great videos out there. Listen to some of the podcasts between Joe Rogan and Elon. Very, very, very interesting. And that's, that's one great thing where technology has given us the ability to go out and, and share a lot of these ideas and, and hopefully that'll continue in the future. But again, David, thank you so much. This is incredible. You're welcome. Brent and David, this again, this was absolutely mind blowing and so much to chew on. <laughs> I, I'm glad there's a rewind button because I'll be using it. Uh, this is fantastic. Brent, we don't do this often, but I, I do want to ask you for some contact information for yourself on this podcast because you do uh, connect with a lot of people in a lot of different areas. Uh, the point of this podcast is is for you to get education out there and connect with your audience. How do people reach out if they want to maybe have this conversation with you? Sure. Uh, phone number to reach me is 602-255-0555. Uh, and if you Google Brent Mikosh, Arizona, I pop up. So <laughs> that's probably the easiest way. Probably. Absolutely. Again, David, thank you so much for being here. And Brent, thank you again for bringing him on the show. And our last thank you, of course, is to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. 
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.